G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. You might recall the situation in Corinth, it had become pretty muddled or pretty muddied when it comes to the gospel. So in Corinth, by you know, the Corinthians, it's written to the Christians in Corinth. Um, that city there in Greece, they had the gospel and they'd heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, those are all good things, but in terms of owning it and loving it and embracing it and kind of welcoming the gospel into every area of their lives, well, the gospel, you see, it had certain rough edges that just kept snagging um, on the lives of these Corinthian Christians um, as they went about their Lives. Now, Corinthian culture, not unlike our own, cared very much about how you come across, cared very much about how people saw you and um, uh, what they thought of you, deeply desired uh, the cultural currencies of credibility, of appearing intelligent and basically being a desirable, likeable, admirable human being, right? Not unlike our own in all sorts of ways. The Gospel of Jesus, on the other hand, then as now, it kept snagging them and kept catching on them and slowing them down in their cultural lives. Jesus was a drag to our beloved Corinthians. Why? Well, because at the heart of the the Christian message was this public failure, a dirty, rotten crucifixion. Why? Well, because their Christ or their King turned out to be a criminal. I mean, that's what the crucifixion meant, wasn't it? Uh, Why? Well, because from beginning to end, this Jesus message proclaimed that God is wonderful and uh, wise and pure and capable, whereas, on the other hand, we are just pretenders and posers, and to cap it off, we're going to perish and we're powerless to do anything about it. (laughs) You can see that that is a message that would be a bit of a social snag, can't you? Pretenders, posers, you're going to perish and you're powerless to do anything about it. No, no, says Paul, cultural lusts and cultural longings cannot happily coexist with a life embracing Jesus. Jesus will never win for us the world's applause. Can you stomach that? But now, chapter 2, where we are up to now, which Marion just read for us, Paul changes gear. Yep, the gospel might look dumb as the world sees it, uh, but, says Paul, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. Can we pray, please, as we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 2? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, you are our eternal God, your eternity, the fact that you've always been, that you don't change, that you will always be, your eternity contrasts so starkly with our day-to-day experience. We have our ups and downs every single day, many times a day. We come and go, we rise and fall. A friend snobs us and we're down in a pit. An acquaintance or a girl at school or a colleague smiles upon us and so we're up on a high for a while. Father, in so many ways, we really do rise and fall based on some pretty shaky stuff in life. God in heaven, help us please to better appreciate our own cultural setting in a bigger view, 
and our own personal deep-seated cultural lusts and longings in view of the gospel of the Lord Jesus and in view of eternity. Father, we look back at previous generations sometimes and we wonder how they could be so blind, so incapable of standing against the tide. Well, God, today, teach us this morning, please, the meaning of being salt and light to our present generation and couple that with the spirit-empowered courage to stand. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Are you a spiritual person? Are you a spiritual person? Would you say that you live a spiritual life? You know, would any of your friends describe you in that way? Is that one of the words that would pop into their minds uh, as they think about you? Um, that you're a, a man or a woman of spirituality. Paul comes to land his biggest blows square in the guts of this issue of spirituality by the end of the passage. And so that's where, that's where I'd like to begin. I'd like to put it to you at the outset though, I reckon in our culture, spirituality or being spiritual has come to mean one of two things. Both of them are heavily laden terms. They're, they're quite, you know, they've got a lot of baggage surrounding them. So the first one, the first of our spiritual types in our culture, uh, and this is thinking largely outside of the church, we think of those spiritual people in a generally positive, kind of fond, likeable light, I think. But I suspect to us Christians, their spirituality seems a little bit insubstantial, um, a little, rings a little bit hollow. Anyway, can you picture them there? The spiritual person, they have this kind of glow about them, this little aura. Yeah, can you, do, you know, do you have friends like this? Spiritual people carry this little aura of calm, unflappable, you know, earthy. Uh, um, they take everything in their stride, they're level. They're not angsty and kind of pent up and kind of all a bit high strung or anything like that. They might come over as a bit offbeat, maybe. But she's got a real in-touchness with her joys and her noble aspirations. He, that spiritual man, well, he, he bucks the, the stereotypes, doesn't he, of that kind of hot-headed careerism, um, um, impulsive greed. He probably collects money for the Wilderness Society in his lunch break. Spiritual people, they look earthy, they do yoga, they drink tisans instead of you know, filthy coffee like I do. Uh, they, they meditate, they raise their children on farms and they let them grow dreadlocks. They've got opinions, yet they're calm, they're present, they're a little intense. Have you, you got the image there, right? Can you picture people like that? I hope you've got friends like that. The other, um, <clears throat> that's one spiritual type. The other spiritual type, they're almost the opposite. Um, perhaps they do have this kind of inner peace experience um, off on their own sometimes, but as we encounter them in the church, gosh, they can be a real headache because this kind of spirituality says that I'm a spiritual Christian, but you're probably not. You know, I'm a spiritual one, but you're not. It'll come as no surprise to you that um, one of my heroes in the Christian world is a man named Don Carson. You know, I seem to quote from him just about every other week, don't I? Uh, here's something that Don Carson said. Um, I, I admire the man's writing. I wish I could um, deal with difficult passages with the clarity and the colour uh, with which he does. But anyway, I was kind of saddened to read this, um, to hear that even he, this hero of mine, wasn't good enough, wasn't spiritual enough didn't make the grade for some of these spiritual Christians. He says, talking about our passage actually, he says, 
It is more than a little ironic that a passage that should teach us to be humble has been used by some to justify an astonishing measure of arrogance. More than once I have been informed that I am one of the people Paul describes in verse 14, 14 of our passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the man without the Spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Another word, says Carson, if you agree with such people, you're spiritual. If you disagree, you're not. I wonder, has a fellow Christian ever tried to make the case that I'm spiritual but you're not because, what, because you haven't felt this, because you haven't experienced that, because you haven't spoken in such and such a way, because you weren't baptised properly, whatever properly happens to mean for them, because you don't share their zeal for this political cause or that social agenda or this, you're just not very spiritual, are you? So, there are our two images of spiritual people in modern culture. I hope, you've, uh, I hope they ring some bells at least for you. Brothers and sisters, my points from here are fairly brief. Let me tell you where I'm headed. To a church that loved to get ahead, loved to be someone, Paul reminds the Corinthians that true spirituality, true spirituality lies within the reach of every Christian to a church that loved to get ahead, true spirituality lies within the reach of every Christian and I want to say today it lies within your reach, brothers and sisters, for true spirituality, Christian spirituality, is bound up with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. But, and here's the pointy end for us, true spirituality, the truly spiritual life, will take a hold of your whole life, it will get its claws into everything, It will leave no stone unturned, it will leave you looking neither like the hippie nor like that huffy Christian, but make no mistake, true spirituality, it will transform our lives. I've got three points, the first one is this, true spirituality starts with you encountering the true spirit. True spirituality starts with encountering the true spirit and by the way, that means that if you're a Christian, you are spiritual. Dive in with me. We'll dive into the middle of the passage this time. Uh, for, for 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10, pick it up with me there, would you please? God has revealed it, uh, that, that is the, the message of Christ, that whole gospel, but God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men know the thoughts of a man except a man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. They're inseparable. That's his point there, isn't it? They're inseparable. They're one and the same. God and God's own Spirit. If you've got the Spirit, you've got Him uh, Himself in your life. Verse 12, we haven't received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God's freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. And just notice in that last little bit, notice how he moves so seamlessly from you've got the Spirit to now you're talking spiritual words. 
The only kind of spiritual that matters, says Paul, isn't the kind that comes from being in touch with your own spirit. We all have that. We all already are. No, true spiritual life comes from what? From personally encountering God's Holy Spirit in your life. You receive the Spirit, then you've got a spirituality worth talking about. The spirituality worth talking about. That's based on something real. And what will that look like? Well, what did we have? Verse 12. Verse 12, that we may understand what God has freely given us. And then we'll speak, verse 13, words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. Now, brothers and sisters, that might not gel with our terribly romantic version of what being spiritual in this world is. Um, It might not thrill us, it might not surprise us, there's no yoga sequence prescribed here, there's not a dreadlock in sight, doesn't seem very kind of, you know, farm life, raising chickens and all that kind of thing. But here's the surprising thing, when you encounter the Gospel and believe it, you've had a spiritual encounter of the only kind that matters, the defining spiritual encounter. And now you have deeply spiritual truths to share with the world around you. Do you realise that? Now, I've got to say, for me, that is something of a relief, actually, when I think about my own life, because I don't think I could ever rummage up the kind of vibe and aesthetic of sort of centeredness and yoga classes and endless spa retreats. I I just don't think I could do that. So this is a relief for me to discover, wow, spirituality is actually within my reach. In fact, it's already in my life. I'm a bit too boring and thinky and bland. Now, if those things, those other, you know, yoga and all that, if that is your thing, great, all power to you. But brothers and sisters, let's get this clear, verse 12, but we have received the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. And in that encounter lies the foundation of the only spiritual reality that matters. The only one worth talking about when you hear and believe the gospel by the work of God's Spirit. You may be a bland, thinky, believer kind of person, or you may be an effervescent, adventurous, um, you know, one of those hard-to-contain kind of folks, but we share the one spiritual experience. God's Spirit has come to live in us. Now, come back with me to the start of the passage, verse 6, moving on. True spirituality, it starts with an encounter with God's Spirit, but secondly, true spirituality makes a bigger deal of Jesus than it does of anything else. So, from verse 6, remember the backdrop here is that Paul's message, it doesn't sound like wisdom. It sounds lame, says our world. Yes, but, verse 6, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Just pause there. Just have another look at verse 7 with me, would you? Verse 7, the question here is, how big of a deal is God's little message about Jesus. That's kind of the question on view in verse 7, compared to the issues in your life that really matter, that are really important, that you lose sleep over. Have another look at verse 7. No, says Paul, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden, and it's talking about up until the time of Jesus, 
and, and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. I'm in verse 8 now. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it's written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God revealed it to us by his spirit. It's remarkable, isn't it? What should mark us out, Christians, brothers and sisters, in our true spirituality? It's this, isn't it? Having seen the gospel for what it is, that we make a bigger deal of Jesus than we make of anything else. Any other issue, any other priority, any other agenda, any other pursuit. Why? Because he is a bigger deal than anything else in all of history, than anything else that we've got going on down here on earth. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. Now, that last little bit, what God has prepared for those who love him, notice, that's not talking about what God's got coming for us after we die. It may include that. I don't think that's mainly what's on view. It's talking about Jesus coming into the world to save sinners just as God prepared it, just as God intended from destiny, from eternal past. The destiny that he had coming for us. Does that mean that we, I don't know, shouldn't care at all? about the big issues of the world? Does that mean that we shouldn't care at all about climate change or marriage redefinition or sea levels or food security or famine or uh, gender equality in the workplace? Of course we should care about those things. Of course we should do things about those things. The question here is just of proportion and of priority. Let me make this more personal. Are there areas in your life that eclipse the cause of the gospel for all intents and purposes? Are there areas in your life that eclipse the cause of the gospel for all intents and purposes, that you get more worked up over, that you get more excited about, uh, that you lose more sleep over? Uh, it could be one of those big ones that I just mentioned before, big sort of societal shifts, the things that we recognise together as being massive deals, but it's probably smaller things. That's my hunch. Dare I ask it, do your holiday plans outshine the gospel in your heart of hearts? Does your mortgage or your house or the house that you would like to have outshine the gospel in your heart of hearts? Do your work aspirations consistently trump the gospel and outshine the eternal destined plan of God for our world? Does your family... Of course, family can take many different forms, can't it? For the person with the eyes to appreciate it, says Paul, we carry the message of God's destiny for our world in the story of Jesus. We have come to see it for what it really is. True spirituality makes the biggest deal of Jesus because he is the biggest deal. Finally, last mark of true spirituality. Uh, nonetheless, right. Rosner and Champ, but nonetheless, Paul's purpose, Paul's purpose is not to accuse the Corinthians of not having the Spirit, but as living as if they do not have the Spirit. So, third evidence of true spirituality is true spirituality sets us at odds with an unspiritual world. Um, unspiritual, notice the capital S in the unspiritual there, skipping down to the end of our passage now. Pick it up with me from verse 13, please. From verse 13. 
This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught us by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself isn't subject to any man's judgment, for who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. True spirituality sets us at odds, I'm saying, with an unspiritual world. Now, I reckon our danger, you look at that passage, those verses we just read, I reckon our danger's got to be arrogance here, doesn't it? Christian know-it-allism. After all, the man without the Spirit, those non-Christians out there, does not accept the, the things that come from the Spirit. I mean, verse 14, their foolishness to him, he can't understand them. The spiritual man, by contrast, makes judgments about all things, verse 15, but he himself isn't subject to any man's judgment. And then right at the end there, we have the mind of Christ. I reckon the danger there is Christian arrogance, Christian know-it-allism. The danger is falling into thinking that we always know better on every subject. We always think better, that we have an edge in every single area. Um, and I think I've heard that kind of thing. For, well, yeah, okay, so from myself. But I think I've heard that kind of thing in Christian culture. As if we've nothing to learn at all from the world around us in all sorts of areas. Even in sort of out there kind of area, like management or psychology, or geology, philosophy. But no, no, what were Carson's words before? They need to come back to us now. It is more than a little ironic, he said, that a passage that should teach us to be humble has been used to, us to justify an astonishing measure of arrogance. Humble why here? Because the key point is that the knowledge that we've come to has come from the Spirit. I didn't figure God out for myself. It wasn't the triumph of my own spiritual journey that got me to the point that I'm at at the moment. No, it's a passage about humility. And secondly, that's right, it's just talking about spiritual knowledge. It's true, verse 15, the spiritual man makes judgment about all things. But those all things, it just means in every sphere of your life as you work out um, the spiritual life. It's talking about bringing your whole life into line with that message that the world neither gets nor cares for. Don't expect the world to help you out with that. In fact, in fact, we can expect to look like a pack of weirdos to the world, in a sense. We can't expect people without the Spirit to applaud us as we seek to bring all things in our lives into line with the Gospel that they don't even like. You might think Jesus is the biggest thing in the world because he is. Well, they don't because they don't care. And they might think you're crazy. True spirituality comes from the true spirit and that means every Christian has it. True spirituality makes a bigger deal of Jesus than anything, uh, than anything else because he is the biggest deal and true spirituality, lastly, it does set us at odds with an unspiritual world. To conclude, may I hold up one area of our lives... And just ask this question, does our prayer life reflect the kind of true spiritual reality that we've heard about today? Real and all-important and all-encompassing.
Have a listen to this picture of prayer. It sort of jars with mine much of the time, I'm ashamed to say. John Piper puts it like this. He says, prayer, just listen to the way he conceives of the whole thing. Prayer is the, is the walkie-talkie on the battlefield of the world. It calls on God for courage. It calls in for troop deployment and target location. I think that is, you know, praying for one another as we head out to share the gospel. Troop deployment and target location. It calls in for protection and air cover. You know, God's help to resist evil in our lives, His help. It calls for firepower to blast open a way for the world. It calls in for the miracle of healing for the wounded soldiers. It calls in uh, for supplies for the forces. And it calls in for needed reinforcements. I'm thinking there of Matthew, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is the place of prayer on the battlefield of the world. It is a wartime walkie-talkie for spiritual warfare, not a domestic intercom to increase the comforts of the saints. And one of the reasons, Piper suggests, that it malfunctions in the hands of so many Christian soldiers is that they've gone AWOL. Can we pray together, brothers and sisters? Our Father God in heaven, your gospel has come to us so freely. It it has been good news to our ears and our hearts, for it is your one great plan for our world and you have caught us up in it. What a mercy it is and what a wonder it is, God, that you've chosen to bring it to us. There are plenty of people out there who haven't enjoyed that incredibly good fortune, that grace from your hands in their lives, Father. Father, we pray, would you please help us to let nothing outshine Jesus in our lives? May we not seek spiritual nurture from other than your Holy Spirit, as if the real lowdown is somehow to be found anywhere else. No, Lord, teach us to thirst after a maturing and developed spiritual life by thirsting after it where it is to be found, in the wisdom of your word revealed to us personally. God in heaven, too often we reduce that to an intellectual exercise, coming to your Bible, coming to your word, or we act like we know it all already, as if we could know it all, the very mind of Christ. Father, may we be content to live lives of humbly learning to bend our will to yours. May your will be done. May we be content to look odd or weird or worse in the eyes of our friends and colleagues and loved ones. But in your kindness, would you please unlock the gospel to them as well? We ask it not from a position of arrogance or one-upmanship, because we think we're better than them. We, we have all sorts of things to learn from our fellow Hobartians in so many areas of life, but in this area, Father, of true spirituality, we've received something so thoroughly unique and precious and wonderful, we have found the real deal. So open their hearts to your message, even this week, please. Even those whose hearts have been closed to it for many a long year. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.